Well, good morning. Uh, congratulations on a number of levels. Uh, one, you've picked a great place to be on a Sunday morning. Uh, two, you've figured out now that your phone changes the time automatically. So you really don't need to remember daylight savings time. Good job. Well done. Uh, also, you, you experienced weather. And where we're from, that's worth congratulations as well. Um, it was really a cool thing to see how well our neighbors took care of each other. Um, yeah, that, that's one of the very few times applause might be appropriate in church. That was it, right there. You missed it. You have to wait till next year till you get another chance. Um, yeah, so I, uh, we've, we haven't been here, here, like with me behind the pulpit and you in, in the seats for a few weeks. We had a small service in the foyer last week and the week before, um, the, the storm power outage version. But when we, uh, when we began 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which you could turn there now, when we began 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I, uh, I mentioned a few things that I, I thought might happen to us as a church as we start to study spiritual gifts and who we are as a body, Paul's metaphor of the church being a body made up of many members. Uh, I suggested that through this teaching and just through where the Holy Spirit is leading our church, uh, the Lord would, would build in you a love for the people in your church. Another thing I said would probably happen as we study spiritual gifts and the importance of serving one another in love, which is what we're warming up to, to chapter 13, right? That's kind of the whole point, is that uh, you would be called to serve other people. And then the third thing I suggested may happen through this is that you would be served by other people. Well, I had all three of those things happen in the past three weeks. Anyone else? <laughs> Anyone else? Did that happen? Okay, that, that is evidence of the Spirit of God moving in our church, making us the body that he would have us be. Uh, so, of course, any applause would go to him. But praise the Lord. Glory be to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. We are going to be studying uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, but because it's been a while, I'll give you a running start, and for the read-aloud portion, I'll start in verse 1, chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. These are diversity. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diver differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray once more. Jesus, I thank you for not leaving us orphans. You've given us a helper, the paraclete, your spirit himself. Uh, we thank you that um, we aren't left without the strength or the power that we need.
to obey you and serve you well and serve your body. And we thank you that you have given, given us gifts, you've given us anointings, you've given us callings, activities, ministries, and we, we simply pray that we would be faithful to respond to your faithfulness. Um, that as we believe and we confess now that you have given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, that you have given us all things we need to be thoroughly equipped for every good work, we pray that now that the, when the ball is in our court, <laughs> that we would be faithful with these things. We'd be faithful with, to use and serve with the gifts that you have given us. Give us understanding of these things because we, like Paul, do not want to be ignorant of spiritual things. Guard us from error on every side and bless us with your Holy Spirit, we pray, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Um, so we're going we're gonna to go through this list. Um, you know, we studied a few verses um, last time we were together, but we, we stopped just short of where Paul starts listing what he calls spiritual gifts. Okay, so most of our time today is going to be with those spiritual gifts. We saw there's a, there are diversities of gifts in verse 4, uh, but the same Spirit. And then he, he kind of parallels gifts, ministries, and activities. He uses those things almost interchangeably. There's diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Differences of ministries, the same Lord. There are different diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. And he appeals to the unity and diversity of the Trinity by saying there's the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God, by showing the church that while there is a variety of different giftings within the church, there's a variety of different people in the church and different kinds of people, that is in no way um, against our unity as one body. There's one Spirit who gives, and then verse 11 it said, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So we get to talk about what these things are, what these gifts are, ministries, activities that the Spirit gives. Now, before we go through this list, we should really make sure we know what we're talking about when we say spiritual gifts. When you see someone skilled in their craft, you might say they are gifted. And truly, a person's natural talents uh, or unnatural talents... <laughs> the ones that they paid a lot of money to develop and put a lot of time into, their skills, their life's calling. It's not wrong to say that these are gifts from God. Every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. Okay, he gives us all things we have, that's true. But when we are talking about gifts in this context, spiritual gifts, here and in chapter 14 and in Romans chapter 12, where Paul brings this up again, Paul is not talking about natural gifts and talents. And to kind of prove that point, uh, three weeks ago, you know, I pointed out miracles. Like, who's really good at miracles? Just naturally. You know, you've just always kind of been good at it. You just had a knack, you know, for, for miracles. Like, that's, that's, that shows that these gifts, even if you say, oh, I'm pretty good at that one. It's like, doesn't matter. Not what we're talking about. Um, spiritual gifts are beyond your natural gifts and talents. These are spiritual gifts. They are given according to the will of God for the needs in his church. This being the case, it would be a mistake also to think of these miraculous gifts as things given according to our natural tendencies, likes, dislikes, or skills. A person who likes to talk a lot is no more a candidate for the gift of teaching or prophecy than a quiet person is. Okay, A person cannot say, oh, I, I, I looked ahead, I read ahead in verse 28, there's this gift called helps, that's probably mine, I'm super good at stacking chairs, and I don't like talking to people. That's not how you get to do this, 
okay? You don't get to go through the list and say, I want this one, this one. Don't give me that one. I don't want anything to do with that. Sounds weird, okay? You don't get to think about the gifts like this. They do not, they are, um, they do not have to be given, excuse me, according to your likes and dislikes or your natural talents or abilities. Do not look at them with an eye towards your own abilities or preferences. Look at them with an eye that would seek out the giver of the gifts and then try to discern what he would do in his church with his people. Gifts are not natural talents, and they do not even necessarily run parallel to your natural talents, though they can. Another mistake people make is in assuming that you have a gift and that your it's yours to keep, develop, or ignore according to your own faithfulness or lack thereof, and that once you find out your gift, you can be assured of your permanent role in the body of Christ, and you don't really need to worry about all those other needs that are outside of your gifting. I know you're asking me to do that, and it needs to be done, and if no one does it, it won't get done, but that's not really my gifting. You don't get a look at this list like that. Okay? Listen, the wind blows where it wishes. That's what Jesus tells Nicodemus in, in John 3, right? The Spirit moves as he wishes. You hear the sound of the wind. You can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit is not formulaic or rigid. He is ordered, but he gives and he takes away. You may be very, very sure, based on past performance, you might say, that your giftings are encouragement and faith, for example. But if the Spirit decides to call you to pray for the sick and then blesses them and you with healing in response to that prayer, you don't want to get in the way of that because you say, that's not really my gifting. I was actually just here to try to encourage you. It's like, no. You may be really happy that God has used you to speak a word of wisdom, but at the end of the chapter, it mentions the gift of helps, and sometimes that's just more useful. Paul says desire the best gifts, and we'll talk more about that when we get to that passage. But the best gifts change depending on the need. And we need to be trained not to identify ourselves and our spiritual skill set, but rather to identify the voice of the Spirit of God and the needs within the body. And then we need to be trained and to be available and willing to be the one who is a conduit for his grace, to be the one he uses to meet those needs that are right in front of us. Let's take, take this list one at a time, the first one Paul mentions in verse 8 is the word of wisdom. Okay, so you probably know what wisdom is. The word of wisdom is something else. <laughs> wisdom, simply put, is knowing what to do in a given situation. It's, it's different from knowledge in that knowledge is primarily about information. Wisdom is about the application of, of information. It's not what you know, it's a, that you know what to do. But the thing is, we don't always know what to do. Uh, we come to situations where we don't know where to go, and we need wisdom. If the Lord reveals the right way to go through a person, and they speak and say what the wise option would be, that's the word of wisdom. Chuck Smith wrote about it like this. He said, it's likely that you've exercised this gift without even realizing it. Can you remember a situation in which someone asked you a difficult question and as you fumblingly started to respond, the answer just came to you. You were able to give the answer. It was clear, and it made sense, and it was good. That's the gift of the word of wisdom. And as Paul says, he gives, this, he gives some this gift for the good of all. So some clarification is needed here. We should all be growing in wisdom, right? We should all be growing in wisdom. Wisdom is not the gift. 
It's, wisdom is not something that some people just naturally have and others don't. It's something for each of us to pursue. All of us should be pursuing and growing in wisdom. The gift of the word of wisdom is more than that. It's not just something a wise man says. It is God bringing to mind the solution to the problem for it to be spoken to his people. And everyone to go, oh, that's right. Perhaps in calling a verse to mind. Perhaps reminding you of, of things you've already learned, or maybe some other way, the Spirit may give you this gift for the good of all. This is something supernatural. It's also different, slightly, from God just leading you in a direction. An example, you don't know where to go, you don't know what to do, so you pray about it, and then God gives you peace about one decision, and you take that for his leading. That's great. That's wonderful, okay? If you lack wisdom, James says, ask, he'll give it to you. He gives wisdom. That's fantastic. But when we're talking about gifts, we're not talking about your personal growth by yourself and your leading and your decision-making by yourself. This is given to some for the good of all. When we're talking about gifts or ministries or activities, this is offering wisdom to another person. This is one person serving another person with this gift. That being the case, and knowing that God is willing to give this gift to people, I think we should be asking each other for help a whole lot more. If it is God's intent for the members of his body to build one another up, and one of the ways he does this is by speaking words of wisdom through certain individuals for the good of the body, when you don't know what to do, you should ask Christians what to do. Because God has promised to give us his Holy Spirit. And according to Paul, these gifts are given to each for the good of all. Ask someone who loves Jesus what they think you should do. You know, he, he knows whether or not... Uh, he knows how to give you the advice or the wisdom you need, and he desires to serve you through his body, the church. Now, along the same lines, knowing that whoever lacks wisdom is told to ask God, and, and the promise is given in James chapter 1 that God gives wisdom liberally and without reproach. If this is the case, and you are aware of a situation that demands a lot of wisdom, maybe your friend has come to you and said, like, I don't know what to do. These are This is a... a crazy situation, there's lots of options, and it doesn't seem like there's a good one, or maybe they're all good, and I don't know which one to, to do. If your friend brings you that scenario, don't say, well, you ought to pray, God will give you wisdom. We're told that we're the body. We are to build each other up. You pray for wisdom, and trust in the Lord who gives good gifts. Pray for wisdom, seek for wisdom, instead of merely telling the person in need of an answer, be warmed and filled. Maybe it's you that needs to give them the wise answer they need. The point here with all of these gifts is, is not how can I utilize these tools to be successful. The point is that God uses his people to help his people. That's his, his plan A. That is his, his determined way of doing things. You are his people. The people in your church are here to help you, and you are here to help them. The word of wisdom is an example of the Holy Spirit working through one person to help others. Now, the next gift is the word of knowledge, and uh, it's a little like the first one. And the word of knowledge, as you might guess, it's not just being given knowledge or knowing things, which, again, all of us should seek knowledge. Read Proverbs. You know, it says you seek knowledge like gold and silver. But the word of knowledge is when that knowledge is spoken specifically. It's when you are given information by the Holy Spirit, that you could not have known through natural means. 
This is telling someone information that they need to know and that the Holy Spirit wants to give them. And we may think of Jesus telling the woman at the well, you speak rightly and saying you have no husband. You have five husbands and the man you are with is not your husband. That's information he didn't get from Google. Okay? That's like, it, it was shown to him by the Spirit of God. You might also think of Peter answering the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father, who is in heaven. Well, guess what? The Father is still revealing things to his children that flesh and blood cannot. Many times, this gift, as well as the previous gift of the Word of Wisdom, will find its place in the prayer meeting, in the prayer group. You're praying for someone. Maybe they don't give you a lot of specifics of what to pray for, but you're praying for them, and the Lord will show you what to pray, how to pray. Perhaps even the prayer request was vague or unspoken. Just, just pray, and what you pray is exactly what they needed. That's based on information that flesh and blood did not reveal to you. And then afterwards they say, I do know that's exactly what I needed to be prayed for. The next gift on the list is faith. Now again, knowledge, wisdom, and faith, these are all things that are not optional accessories in the Christian life, right? They're not some, it's like, okay, you have faith, no one else needs any because he's got enough for everybody. Um, each and every believer is told to pursue knowledge and wisdom. Each and every believer is required to have faith without which it is impossible to please God. Faith got you here in one way or another. And it, it's not wrong to speak of that faith as a gift. But again, as we find faith here in this list of ministries and activities and gifts, we know we're talking about something that is slightly different. Faith is a gift of the Spirit, given to some for the benefit of all. What does that look like? I'll tell you, it looks like an unshakable, contagious confidence in God. What's the situation where this is called for? Horrible ones. Horrible situations that might shake a person's faith. Situations that lead a person to say, how could this have happened? How could God allow dot, dot, dot? Well, the gifts are given to build up, right? That's what Paul says. The gifts are, gifts are given to each to build up the body of Christ, to edify the body and glorify Christ. One person in that situation who says with true confidence that is given to them by the Holy Spirit, I believe God is in control. I believe God is good. And I believe we are his. That has the power to benefit a lot of people who couldn't have said that out loud. The gift of faith is when God gives you the simple, childlike faith in him and his goodness, and you express that in some way that is encouraging to those around you who may have a more complex, grown-up doubt encroaching on the childlike faith they ought to have. We see this dynamic at work in the psalm, Psalm 119, 78. It says, those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. You see what he's saying? He says, I'm going to make other people glad. There's, there's going to be the joy of the Lord. Other people are going to turn to you because I hope or have faith in your word. The hope of one or perhaps the faith of one may cause gladness in all those who fear God. Once again, faith is something that we, we grow in and we, we grow in it as we walk in obedience to the Lord's commands. But the Lord, in expecting these things of us, he has not left us orphans. He has sent a helper. And this helper has, at times, been known to inject a healthy dose of simple faith into one of his saints so that this confidence can spread through a weak and doubting people. The gifts are given to each for all. The benefit for all. All benefit when one person expresses this gift of faith. And all can grow in their faith and confidence in the Lord. The disciples 
prayed, increase our faith. Uh, The man at the bottom of the mountain prays, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, one of the ways the Lord has determined to answer these kinds of prayers is through people who are filled with the Spirit and expressing the gift of faith. God will give one the gift to benefit the whole. And as you spend more time with people who love the Lord, who are seeking the Lord, and who are filled with his Spirit, the gifts that God gives them will bless you and lead you to maturity. This is the way the other gifts have been, right? You said, let's say you lack wisdom. You ask God for wisdom. God might give you wisdom, or he might give another person, not you, the word of wisdom, so you know what to do. You know, uh, you know, you now know what you need to do. Look at, um, you, you can see that you're becoming wise through another person's wisdom leading you in the ways of the Lord. Let's say that you are doubting and you need faith. You need to increase your faith and you pray, Lord, increase my faith. And you expect that he could just find your faith dial somewhere in the back and just turn it, and which he could, right? He says, look, you believe better now. It's up to 11, you know? But, but it has always been his plan to have the church build up the church. So he uses another person's faith to increase yours, oftentimes a child's. It is God's plan for you to increase in wisdom and knowledge and faith. And the way he is going to accomplish this, in part, is through his spirit-filled people. Let's look at the next one. It's the gifts of healings. You go look at the testimonies in our hallway, on our Ebenezer wall. Count the healings. We believe God heals. We do not just tell the sick person, well, God works in mysterious ways. When asked to pray for healing, we do not say, well, how's their soul, though? Because that's really the important part. No, we pray for healing in the body, believing that God heals bodies. Now, there's an important thing to know about this one. It's not the gift of healing. It's the gifts of healings. This simply shows that there's a lot of variety in this area. It's not always as simple as, One person has a sickness, another person says, oh, I've got the gift of healings, don't worry about it, I'm just going to put my hand on them and I'm going to pray, and they stop being sick. That would be one way this could work, but but not always. And uh, sometimes it does not work this way. God will heal sick people. He does it all the time. But in Scripture, we we also see healings take place in in a variety of ways. The woman with the flow of blood wasn't prayed for at all. No one laid their hands on her. But she had faith that made her well even before Jesus could identify her. She's the only person in the history of the world who was able to sneak up on Jesus, I think. Okay? You can can see that the gift of faith, in her case, and the gift of healings could work in conjunction. Because once her testimony is shared, you see that her gift of faith encourages those, and it has been encouraging the church since it happened, since it was written down. Now, throughout the Gospels, we see faith as a sort of prerequisite for healing, but not always. Jesus raises the dead twice, the widow's son in Luke 7 and Lazarus. Neither of those dead people had any faith. When Peter and John encountered the lame man at the temple, the guy wasn't praying for healing. He was asking for money. The healing didn't have anything to do with his faith. When the paralytic is lowered through the ceiling, it says that Jesus saw their faith. So it wasn't just his. Maybe it wasn't his at all. But maybe it was the the friends who brought him to Jesus. So there's... There's a relationship of faith to healing, but not a formula. And again, there's a, there's a, a broad set of, of uh, variety here. Again, at its simplest, the gifts of healings are when you pray for a sick person and they are well. But 
There's variety. There's maybe the laying on of hands and the anointing of oil as James 5 directs. Maybe there's not. Maybe the healing is totally, completely miraculous in such a loud way that it leaves people speechless. Praise God. Other times the healing is done through more conventional means and God whispers. See what that doctor thinks he did? I still get the glory. And we give it to him. Now, the gifts work well together. That's actually kind of Paul's point in the whole metaphor of the body. The work, you know, your body parts work well together. And sometimes healing might be the result of the word of knowledge or the word of wisdom or discerning of spirits where the spiritual nature of this natural sickness is revealed by the spirit. It may be that through a time of prayer, it's revealed that the sickness has uh, spiritual roots that need to be addressed. Uh, We have to be very careful here because this line of thought has led to many abuses. But James says it's possible that sins produce sickness and prayer and repentance leads to health. It's not a formula. It's not a flu shot. But sometimes that's the way it works. Sometimes it's that you're allergic to eggs and you didn't know it. You know, and there's that's not spiritual at all. But you know what? The Holy Spirit's aware of your allergies before you are. And he can lead you to the right conclusions, perhaps through natural means, perhaps by gifting someone else in the body who brings you that word and says, you know what? Uh, I know you're sick, but you might just need to go on a diet. Now, that's preaching right there. You know, that's like Holy Spirit anointing. You might be martyred. It depends on who. Perhaps supernatural means, maybe they won't look supernatural, but the people of God are gifted by the Spirit of God to bless the people of God. Now, we can look uh, at the book of Acts and see a whole lot about the gifts, especially healings. Um, There's several instances of the gifts of healings being exercised. Sick people are made well. Broken people are made whole. Sometimes the sicknesses are demonic, as we see in the Gospels. Other times they are not. Uh, Not every sickness is the result of demonic oppression. But the fact is the apostles who were doing the healing were not able to heal whoever they wanted whenever they wanted. Again, this goes against this idea that like you found your gift and you're like, that's mine. I get to use it whenever I want. Like that's never the way it works. Um, Paul had a thorn in the flesh, which is thought to be uh, bad eyesight somehow. He tells Timothy to have a little wine for his stomach. Well, why didn't he just heal him? Well, that's not the way the gifts work. God gives them according to his wisdom, not ours. This doesn't mean that we don't pray for the sick. We pray for healing. And God gives his gifts to those in need of healing. I've been, uh, I've been encouraging you, you know, this morning and three weeks ago when we started this passage, not to just find your gift the way this passage is sometimes taught. We don't want to read the Bible just to find ourselves in the group photo, right? And I've been in encouraging you to rely on the body of Christ. You need wisdom, we'll ask of God, but don't be surprised when his answer comes from the person two rows in front of you. Uh, is your faith weak? Well, God may build it up through another person's faith. Now, with healing, I can, encourage you, I can encourage you in the same direction by borrowing words from James. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him in the name of the Lord. This is a command in Scripture. Now, listen, this is your pastor speaking. Take your vitamins, wash your hands, cover your mouth when you sneeze. Use all the good sense. But when you are sick, what if your first response to that sickness was to obey what the Scripture prescribes? Call me. Let me pray for you. We have people up front after every service, every week. They'd be happy to pray with you. Um, I'm not afraid of home visits. I'm not afraid of sick people. But I want to be clear, the decision belongs to the sick person. It is the sick in the church that are to call for prayer. 
And with this gift of healing being offered, we learn about all the gifts, that it is God's will for you to find your maturity and your healing and your fulfillment in the church alongside the giftings of other people. Let's keep going. This is way too much fun. Working of miracles. The Holy Spirit may choose to reveal himself through miracles. And why not? Nothing is too hard for him. We believe that. Nothing stands in his way. He is not limited by anything we can do or, or don't do. The creator God is still in control of the material world and can rearrange atoms whenever and however he sees fit. Now, the more miraculous healings, they get double credit, two gifts at once, right? Many healings are miraculous, but there are also miracles that are not healings. Now, these miracles, when they happen, these are not magic shows. These are faith-building miracles and are usually seen in the context of missionary evangelism, meaning in a context where the gospel is being preached to a people who have never heard the gospel before. Read missionary biographies. Uh, the more miraculous appearing gifts appear most often in areas where the gospel is completely unknown, and the miracles are given as a way to confirm the message of the gospel that is preached. And that fits with what we see in Scripture as well. In the book of Acts, we read of the gospel going out into the world for the first time, and we read of signs and wonders going along with the bold preaching of the gospel. The apostles pray for signs and wonders. They ask that signs and wonders would happen. But they do so in the context of preaching to unreached people. While Peter and John just got beaten for their faith, got beaten for preaching, it is in the context of knowing we are going to preach wherever and whenever we can. It's in that context that they say, Lord, send signs and wonders to confirm this word. The goal is never the signs. The goal is never any of these gifts. The goal is not, you know, let's become really good Christians and then we can do this word of wisdom thing. It sounds fun. You know, the goal is for people to grow in their faith and become more like Christ and for the world to be reached with his gospel. The goal is glory to God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. The last verse in Mark's gospel shows us the same thing. It shows us the purpose of miracles in the new covenant context. It says, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. God seeks to confirm his word. One way he will do this is through miracles. Now, I just said a few seconds ago, read missionary biographies. It's a, a good advice. You should take it. Uh, the people on the front lines are the ones who see these kinds of things, and it'll increase your faith as you read about them. But actually, I have a better idea. Stop reading missionary biographies. Go be a missionary. <laughs> Once again, not so you can see miracles, but because as awesome as healings and miracles and signs and wonders can be, the preaching of the gospel is better. It's the whole point. And rather than reading stories about people who walked in faith and had the Holy Spirit work through them, go ahead and follow them. You want to go where the gospel hasn't been preached? Good, I'll send you. Let's talk. There's places. There's places I want you to go. Okay? Just sign up. Like, I'll, I'll make sure you get there. Next on the list is prophecy. This is something we need to define biblically before it's, uh, because it's usually misunderstood. In chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Um, prophecy is important. Further on in chapter 14, Paul compares prophecy with the gift of tongues, and he says prophecy is way better. It comes out way ahead. But he defines prophecy in chapter 14, verse 5. It says, he who, he who prophesies 
speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. We think of prophecy as telling the future. That's part of it, maybe. Uh, but a more complete view of prophecy indicates the foretelling rather than the foretelling of God's word. It is speaking God's word for a specific time to a specific people in such a way as to build up and challenge the people of God. Uh, Revelation 19 verse 10 tells us more. It provides a helpful guardrail when we talk about prophecy. It says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So biblical prophecy and teaching and preaching are very closely connected. In the Old Testament, the prophets didn't just tell the future. They told the people of God what God needed them to know right then, at that very moment. Now, I would make a distinction here and note that the gift of prophecy does not make someone a prophet. Uh, there's the gift, and then there's the office. Paul, in, um, in uh, chapter 2, verse 20, he says, The church was built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. The role of apostle is closed. They're not making any new ones. Uh, some churches see this differently. I think they're wrong. That's fine. We'll agree to disagree. Uh, apostle, that's an office that was held in the first generation of the church, and now we are descended spiritually from the apostles. But we don't make new ones, and we don't replace the old ones. There were prophets in the early church, and you read, it, you read about it in the book of Acts. And I believe that the gift of prophecy is for today in the ways that I've just described it. But when you start referring to prophet so-and-so, you're crossing a weird line, and uh, you're making a mistake. As a role or an office, this was a foundation-laying ministry in the first generation of the church. As a gift, speaking forth God's word to build up comfort and encourage people, the, the, the spirit of this prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, that's for today. The gift of prophecy is given so that spirit-filled saints can speak God's word to others in such a way where the word is applied directly to them and their specific situation. And so then the hearers can find themselves encouraged, edified, and comforted, and empowered to obey whatever commands may have been in that message. Now we're going to talk more about prophecy when we get to chapter 14. So you'll just have to hang on for a further discussion on that one. The next, um, next gift on the list is discerning of spirits. Uh, this is not the same as the gift of discernment. Okay, that's what people will call it sometimes. That's not what the word says. That's not what it's called. It's called the discerning of spirits, which makes it super weird. Now, um, which makes it more interesting, right? This is not the same as discernment. Discernment is simply knowing good from bad, uh, or maybe between good and better, or bad and worse. It's to be able to distinguish. Discernment is uh, to divide between right and wrong, wise and foolish, maybe between good and better. You might call that wisdom. There is discernment that every believer should have and that every believer does have the tools for. Measure what you hear against Scripture. There you go. That, that's discernment. But the gift of discerning of spirits is a bit more than that. This is the revelation by the Holy Spirit to a person's heart of what the spiritual nature is behind a thing. Let me explain. God is willing at times to confirm his word through signs and wonders. How cool is that, right? 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says Satan works with signs and wonders. Uh-oh. 
The gospel is beautiful, and Christians ought to make beautiful things and appreciate beauty, and Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Uh-oh, again. God works through prophets. Satan works through false prophets. Now, since we've broadened our view of prophecy to include encouragement, edification, and comfort, keep in mind that false prophecy is not just some antichrist prediction that doesn't come true. No, it's subtle. False prophecy is encouraging and comforting. And you might feel built up. It comes from a friend who makes you feel good about your sin. Our enemy is subtle, so the Holy Spirit may give this gift of spiritual insight to allow you to notice the wrong spirit before anyone else. You will be aware of unseen realities and the spiritual nature behind seemingly innocent things, even good things, for the benefit of those around you and those that are in, in your church and in your circle, saying, we don't, we don't need to be dealing with that thing. It looks fine. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not. Now, this, like all the other gifts, are given to some in the church for the edification of the whole body. This may sound really weird and like something out of science fiction, but it's usually not that way in practice. The Holy Spirit will just tell you, this ain't right. You know this ain't right. And you're like, it looks like it should be fine. And he's like, that's not right. And you're like, you're right. This doesn't feel right. And that's a prompt to pray and get those you love out of that scenario, out of that situation. Stop listening to that teacher. Don't read that book whatever it may be. And now we're coming up to the last two. We're just going to do these in a hurry because they're not controversial at all. It's really simple stuff. I'm sure it'll be easy. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. There's a couple important cross-references we need for this one and several more weeks of sermons, um, which you'll get coming down the road. In chapter 14, verse 2, it says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. We're going to take this topic in full when we get to chapter 14. So you're just going to have to wait for the whole story. But right here, you can see that the gift of tongues, as Paul describes it, is unique and really separate from the other gifts in that it is not directed to men. It's not given for the benefit of all. It's directed towards God. And as we'll see in chapter 14, it's for the benefit of the one who speaks not those who listen. Again, all of this is going to come up in chapter 14, but this is the short version. The gift of tongues is given to a person in order for their spirit to be able to commune with God at a deep spiritual level. The gift of interpretation may be given in order to encourage others present and bring them into that person's prayer, but that's not necessarily going to happen. One way to think about the purpose of the gift of tongues. Have you ever heard someone say that words cannot express dot, dot, dot. Words can't express the way they feel, what they wish they could say. That's where the gift of tongues come in, comes in. Or are you that person or do you know the person who is just an overthinker and really gets in the way of all the things? I do this. There's songs, there's songs that I don't sing because I don't understand them or the grammar's bad. Okay? And that's that's on me. That's not good, right? I, I wish I could just worship to all the songs that anyone worships to, but there's some that I won't sing because I'm just like, that's that's not a phrase. That's not English. That's the, that's, that's a fragment. I learned that, and we're not going to do that, you know? And so I'm not going to sing them to you on Sundays. I'm just not going to do it, okay? Your mind can get in the way of genuine worship that God would draw you into, okay? And there are gifts given to the worshiper that lets them express what tongues cannot or maybe what their mind just is unwilling to 
And God said, I'm going to let you praise me. You're not going to understand it, but you're going to be with me and you're going to be worshiping me and I'm going to meet you in that place. That's where the gift of tongues comes in. It's praise to God from a deep place in your heart that is beyond your powers of articulation. Now, this isn't the only list of spiritual gifts. Romans 12, Paul says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And then he mentions ministry, which is serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, and mercy. And all in the context, same context of these miraculous spiritual gifts. Teaching is the ability to explain spiritual truths to those that need understanding. Exhortation is another word for encouragement, building up. Giving is giving, financially blessing the poor or needy, perhaps more than you thought possible. That's a gift. Mercy is the divine power to forgive from your heart what would otherwise be unforgivable and to show loving kindness, which is sometimes translated as mercy, on the unlovable. That's a gift. At the end of this chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, he mentions some others that aren't in the list, helps and administrations. These are all included under this heading of spiritual gifts, and each one of these gifts is from the same spirit. They are not in competition with each other. They are not our inventions or our pet projects. Paul points in this passage, uh, his point, excuse me, in this passage, it really wasn't to introduce these gifts. He's like, guess what? Here's a bunch of gifts. Look at the list. No, the Corinthians knew all of that. You realize Paul doesn't define any of these gifts because the Corinthians were more aware of these things than we, we are. But what he's trying to do is show them that they were forgetting that this ministry is supposed to flow from a unity from diversity. That we serve in different ways, but we're one body. Praise the Lord. That the gifts are not ours at all, but rather his, and that we are one in him and need to be open to the Spirit's movement so that we know how to serve our church. Look at verse 12. After listing all of these gifts, without offering definitions, Paul says, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. The point in the larger context is, of course, the unity of the church expressed in the diversity of gifts or ministries. That's the big point. You serve differently than someone else because the Holy Spirit has moved in your life and is moving in your life at this moment to, to point you in the direction of a ministry that he's not calling me to. And I say, go ahead, go with God. You serve differently than someone else. That doesn't mean that you're not called or gifted to serve. But another very clear point in all of this, and one we need to rest in at every stage of the discussion on spiritual things, is that the source of all these diverse ministries is God himself. And the distribution of these things are according to his will, not yours. It's not a buffet where you just pick the things you like. He's going to give you gifts. You're not being invited to pick a card from the spiritual gifts deck. You're not looking at all of this to find out what you get to keep and hoard and print at the bottom of your Christian business card. All of these things are his. All of these things belong to him. And he gives to each one according to his will. He is willing to give you gifts so that you can serve the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit wishes to move in your life. He wills to move in your life. He wants to use you to bless those around you. These are some of the ways he may do that. These gifts may be given to you in order to bless other people. These gifts may be given to other people in order to bless you. Please rejoice in knowing that the things you need 
the Lord has provided. And know that the things others need, he intends to provide through you. Let's pray. Jesus, we rejoice in your generosity. Uh, We rejoice in your fellowship that you have given us, yourself, you've given us, your spirit. We pray that we would be rich in these things, that we would be rich in the gifts of the spirit, that we also would be generous with ourselves, our time, uh, so that we can see you be generous with your gifts through us. Pray that each one here would be a clean conduit, that we would Uh, allow the Spirit to flow through us in order to serve one another. I've seen you do it. I'm seeing you do it. I thank you that you have control over these people, your church. Continue to bless us in the same way that you've begun. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please stand. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There's prayer happening up here for anyone wanting prayer. The rest of you, you are sent.